0: afternoon. Um, we have a really special guest that we're trying to get a hold of right now. Her name is Layla Statz. She's a documentary filmmaker, she's a musician, and she's an activist. And I am really pleased to be able to talk to this lady regarding what she does. And part of the filmmaking This past year She taught a group of kids How to make their own films You know Their input On what is happening You know So We are just trying her right now And And um, We are going to be Having a chat with her Regarding You know What she does In her community and other communities that she travels. She was also telling me that she made a documentary film regarding the poor drinking water that is occurring across Canada on native reserves and how she figures that if one this, if one was to see this film, then that way that would help the cause for the drinking water crisis that is happening, and, um, you know, she is being put in, in all of these things, so, and passing her trade on to a younger generation, which is very outstanding and, um, very, you know. Great that we will have another generation of filmmakers, whatever they do documentaries, film, um, you know, what have you. So, um, she's been pretty good with that. And, is unfortunately,
1: here. she's not available. Yes.
0: That <laughs> but we'll keep right. trying her. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's, speaking of documentary films and, uh, uh, native filmmakers, uh, we have uh, one right here in Prince George as well. You did not know that, did you?
0: No, I did not.
1: Uh, yeah, a gentleman that hosts uh, a show on our station called uh, a Comedian's Table. He's, okay. a, he's a local uh, uh, stand-up comedian uh, from Houston, I think, originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, I think he's down in Vancouver working on some things. But uh, uh, Brian Major has received um, has received a, a, a couple of grants for two different projects that he's working on. Uh, one is going to be or actually maybe it's just the one grant. Anyway, the one that he's working on right now is going to be a documentary on uh what he's calling the BIPOC comedians of Prince George. Mm-hmm. So that'll uh, include, I think there's about a half dozen different stand-up comedians. Uh, BIPOC, for listeners that don't know, stands for uh, a black, indigenous, uh, or people of color. Right. And uh, at one point there was, uh, I think, a half dozen here in town. Mm-hmm. So he's going to do uh, a documentary talking about uh, those individuals, uh, where they've gone, what they do, and then, uh, finish it off with an actual live show. Right. Featuring, featuring those, uh, the, those comedians. So that'll be good.
0: Yes. Yeah. You know, and that's another input that we have here. And yeah. I did not know that he was in Prince George.
1: Yes. And then, uh, he, he pitched another idea which he'll have to do, uh, perhaps next year. And that would be uh, where he he actually has, he will do uh, uh, training for yeah. Aboriginal uh, or Indigenous comedians. We know. Oh, we? hey. Yeah, yeah. So oh, and your guest now we have there.
0: Layla. Thank you very much, Reg, for giving me that information about what's going on in Prince George. And good afternoon, Layla. Um, I wrote down the wrong number. I have a habit of that, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mix up the numbers, you know, like sometimes I don't understand. But anyway, I was telling people that you're a documentary filmmaker, you're a musician, and you're an activist, and um, how you went and were teaching the youth how to do filmmaking. So... What do you want to start with? Since though so, your plate is so full, on, you have multi talents here.
2: <laughs> yeah, let me uh let me give you a bit of an introduction of who I am. Uh so Sego, as we say in Mohawk, hello. Uh uh Leila Stat, Young Yacht, Anawara, Ni Wagita Ganyat Gehaga, Niwago Wago, Swego, Nidowagino. Uh just hello, my name's Layla Stotts. I'm, I'm Mohawk uh, Turtle Clan from the Six Nations of the Grand River, and I'm a generational survivor of, of residential schools. My my great-grandmother went to the Mush Hole here in Brantford, Ontario. And so, you know, speaking my language, r- introducing myself in my language is not something that was passed down to me. It's not something that I learned from my, you know, from my, my grandma in the kitchen. It was something that I had to seek out and reclaim on my own. actually the exact opposite, Uh, you know, like in in my upbringing, because of that trauma from that school, I was taught very much what we call the, the code of shame where, sorry, where you, uh, my notifications on where you, uh, you know, you actually are taught, like, you don't want people to know that you're Indigenous. You don't want people to know that you're Mohawk. Uh, you know, I remember going for my first job, and, and uh, I, was, I was, like, applying at, you know, Walmart at yeah. 16 years old, and my, my papa, he sees Layla Scott's on my resume, and he says, you know what, you, uh, make sure you hand it directly to them. Because if they just read your last name, you're not going to get the job. And uh, I was like, "Whoa!" Like, you know. So that was kind of the mindset that that my grandfather had. Um, but he, you know, I know that he was just operating from what he knew best and what he was mm-hmm. what he was taught. So, yes. so yeah, it's been something that I've reclaimed with my brother and my sister uh, for the last three years have been reteaching myself the language, have been going to Longhouse and, you know, listening with an open heart and uh, just walking that, you know, red road. And it, it's definitely led me to a path of the water. You know, I yes. keep coming back to the water. I keep hearing the water uh, and, and realizing that it is a very urgent Uh, A very urgent call that I keep hearing that, you know, we need to bring more awareness. People need to be more connected to the water they're using every day. So it's it's taken me on a journey, that's for sure. So I'm excited to talk about it here today.
0: Yes. And you see, the same with me. I was um, raised by parents who went to residential school. We were not taught our language. Um, my father had this belief that we had to be raised so that we could survive in a white man's world. Mm-hmm right yeah, exactly. so we lost a lot of stuff that we are now starting to learn how to do and um unfortunately i haven't been able to um find you know anything or a uh, class or something, but I did hear of uh, a Cree being taught up at the university, so I want to look into that, because I think that would be good. You know, I know a few words here and there, right? But I think I could do much better than what I am doing right now, right?
2: So let's talk about uh, the water. The language is key. Um, Yes. It's like one of those skeleton keys that kind of opens up the, the Indigenous Way of thinking and way of living uh is all connected to how we spoke and how everything was in relationship to each other and very powerful stuff hidden in that language yes
0: and and you know, like the words I do know and the words that I hear sometimes it's so similar to um the Ukrainian language, you know, like <laughs> there is a few things that the Ukrainians say that. Cree people say right so you know and and my mom used to be able to communicate to Ukrainian people too you know so it, that was quite amazing you know but mind you she grew up in a Ukrainian area
2: hmm. yeah. wow yes. interesting yeah I know it's all uh it, it's a, when we start looking at the big picture, the vision of, you know, this earth and this world that we all share. Uh, there's a lot of lines that connect us all.
0: Yes, and water is one of them. And, Definitely. And, <laughs> you know, when I'm feeling troubled, I like to go down to the river and just walk along the river. It, it gives me a sense of a cleansing, you know, clearing out the mind, just relaxing, hearing the water but there's a lot of people who live in communities that can't even drink the water.
2: Yeah, and that's that was really what I wanted to pull focus to today with whatever time, whatever audience that we have is to expand, you know, that awareness of of what the conditions really are in in our First Nations communities, what they're dealing with when it comes to a basic human right. You know, we're coming up on International Human Rights Day. Uh, on December 10th, and uh, I'm doing some work with the Canadian Museum of Human Rights in Winnipeg. Uh, we're putting on a, an event there, which is pretty cool, but uh, but the main focus of my piece is, you know, that human right to clean water, and we, you know, this is something that most people in, you know, a privileged world, they don't even give a second thought to, Right. And, I've seen the impacts of not having it and the true, you know, community generational impacts of, of systematic, you know, racism. And, uh, yeah, so yeah. I'd love
0: to share on that today. Yes. Let's, let's talk about that because, you know, I think it's very horrendous that you go to these native communities who cannot use the water out of the tap unless they're boiling it, but they can't consume it. They can use mm-hmm. it for dishes or bathing and stuff like that. But you can't drink it, you know, and that's pretty sad.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a website I shared. It's called watertoday.ca, mm-hmm. and it gives you some of the up-to-date stats on what communities have uh, boil water advisories, what communities have do-not-consume advisories, so they cannot even touch it or consume it, Um, and if you, if you look at it, it's like First Nations, First Nations, First Nations, First Nations. (laughs) You're like, what the heck? You know, like, how is nothing happening? How is nothing changing? Uh, so yeah, my documentary, my most recent documentary, I just, uh, I just have completed filming. It hasn't been released yet. Okay. Okay. But uh, yeah, we went to seven different communities with boil water advisories or water insecurities, water threats. And uh, uh, one of one of the places that I'll never I'll never forget was Grassy Narrows, which is a place in Ontario here where a paper mill dumped mercury in the lake system and poisoned you know an entire community, a generation. Of people, uh, as I learn more about mercury poisoning I realize the generational effects and the impacts of mercury poisoning on a an unborn fetus are actually twice the concentration twice the impact of mercury to those next generation that are being born and then sitting with those youth sitting with them growing up with this it was just, it was something that changed my life forever and uh, you know, it's it, you, you can't unknow once you know and you see um, what's happening. And then and then you see, uh, you know, uh, uh, urban cities that have boil water advisories. Like we have a place here in Ontario called Walkerton. And it was under a boil water advisory for 10 days. It was all over the news. Everybody still talks about it and knows about it. And people were held accountable. People were um, charged. With you know negligence, and here this community in Grassy Narrows has been you know basically destroyed, uh, and is there you know years now it's it's very you know it's catching up with them. You can see like the, the tremors in this youth, young girl's face when I was interviewing her. It was just it was hard. It was a really hard uh, story to tell, but at the same time, you know I was I was honored to be able to be there with those communities and share their stories and make sure that people know what uh, what the situations are and and like I said once you know you you can't really unknow that and you're going to do something different you're going to act differently you're going to you're going to take different action
0: right and not only that you know the drinking water that's for everyone the community animals fish so that's all been wiped out you know, and and that's very sad when you have a chance of passing something on to your baby because right. of what you're consuming.
2: Yeah, it's uh, and it puts a lot of a lot of heavy uh, trauma on a community. Uh, and you know, I, I went to these communities that are and. Uh, emergency, a state of emergency, not because of the boil water advisory, but because of their youth suicide and uh because of the state of their youngsters just feeling, the one young girl, she said, that feels like we don't exist. And for me, that's not okay. You know, that's not okay for any youth to feel like they don't exist. And um we think about residential schools, right? We think about it as kind of happening a, A long time ago but when I you know I I went up to these northern communities and if these kids want to go to school they have to they have to move 500 kilometers away from their community and their family and live in a city with a foster family in a racist society where they're just young and growing and you know this is today this is like now
1: Mm -hmm. uh not
2: 20 30 years ago but these kids still don't have access to school where they can be in their own communities with their own family.
0: Yes. And, and you know, that is so difficult for, you know, a Native reserve to be... 500 miles out in the middle of nowhere because it seemed like that's where they built reserves is in the middle of nowhere you know so and that's unfortunate because everyone is entitled to an education and it should be able to be done at your home you know have a school there employ people you know that makes the community grow and
2: thrive Exactly. And so, like, my connection, you know, which is interesting to Prince George. And when Prince George comes up on my phone, I kind of get a little, uh, I don't know, it was like a little tingle of uh, my experience there at the Prince George uh, jail when we were arrested with the Wet'suwet'en land offenders and the, you know, the matrix of that territory, the chiefs, the elders. Uh, just a year ago and uh so when i saw you call i was like ah prince george bc uh, a little trigger there um but yeah that it, that experience actually happened right in the middle of filming this documentary so i you know i had went down to the uh i went down to the the hopi and out in the desert <laughs> and then i sat with them uh, I went to California to the the Redwood Forest, these ancient forests and mm-hmm. the tribes that live there and uh the, I went on this journey where I basically saw water destroyed. I saw you know like uh, elders talking about ten thousand salmon dead in their rivers and these California rivers that they're all their tribes depend on and and then you know you sit with the Hopi who are in the middle of a desert where water is scarce, and they 've had this sacred relationships since time immemorial with water and and honoring it and using every single last drop as many times as they could uh before ever wasting it and then industry and resource extraction uranium mines you, they come in coal mines they come in and, and and in a matter of 20 years their water is radioactive and killing them their springs that they've they've used since, since they can, you know, since their generations are, are poisonous. Mm-hmm. And so I see this oh. and then I see, and then I see BC yes. and then I, I go there and I, 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 drink from this river, the Wenzigua, I drink from it from my hands. And I was just like, this is, this is what water's supposed to be like. This is, it's alive. It's electric. It's inside of me. It's speaking to me. Uh, you know, I just, I have to do something. So okay. it came at an interesting time in the middle of filming the documentary, but I think it made for, it made a, a little bit of a dynamic storyline twist uh, so, when, when I got arrested. <laughs> yes.
0: So right now we're we're going to break for a, a commercial and we'll come back and we'll continue on with where you're going. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, we'll see good. Okay, thank you.
1: Your Prince George Symphony Orchestra's main stage season has plenty to offer for everyone. Check out Beethoven's 6th on February 4th, local singer-songwriters Amy Blanding, Rochelle Van Zanten, and Kim Gucci in concert with the orchestra on April 15th, and guest Henry Shepard on cello May 27th. Tickets and full details are available at pgso.com and from the symphony's office at Studio 2080. Your Prince George Symphony Orchestra's main stage season through May 27th at Vanier Hall. Hi, this is The Wolfman. CFIS-FM features a weekly showcase dedicated to local musicians. Homegrown, Friday night from 6 to 8. Homegrown features music and interviews from local artists performing and recording in our area. You will hear an eclectic mix of softer and heavier sounds from the region's finest musicians, spanning over 30 years of recordings. Check it out. Homegrown, Friday night from 6 to 8. Only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Two Rivers Gallery is excited to present Hope, a group exhibition showcasing work from artists based in Canada who are culturally connected to South Asia. The exhibition includes work from seven contemporary artists connected by a common consideration of hope, which explore the theme through reflections on identity and celebration of South Asian culture. Hope, guest curated by Sandeep Johal of Vancouver, is on display through February 5th at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. Forecast from Environment Canada for today: sunny. Wind for the north at 20K gusting to 40. A high of minus 10 with a wind chill to minus 20. Tonight clear, becoming partly cloudy overnight. Wind for the northeast at 20, a low of minus 17 with a wind chill to minus 27. On Tuesday, mainly cloudy, a 40% chance of flurries in the afternoon. Northeast winds continuing, a high of minus 12 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 20.
0: And we're back, and we have Lila Statz with us today, and we've been discussing the water situation on many reserves here in Canada, and it sounds like even some parts of the states have been affected with this poisonous water. So did you learn a lot from the Hopi and and their use of water compared to what happens here in Canada?
2: I think you know it it in every indigenous community I went to there was a deeper a deeper relationship to water than uh you know I've I've ever known I didn't grow up with the teachings I didn't grow up in the longhouse or or learning any of the ceremonies or the the ways of of my you know Haudenosaunee ancestors so it was a it was new for me as well as i as I was going to each community I was learning uh you know kind of kind of their their own perspective on water and although there were differences a lot of the a lot of the underlying lessons were the same. And it was that, you know, water is alive, and it holds memory, and it is a, a being, not just a resource, not just something that we need to live. And mm-hmm. I think that our society has just become so dissociated. I've been doing a lot of keynote speeches and, and uh, presentations and workshops. Uh, and, and just understanding how disconnected we've become from our use of water and our connection and our relationship with it. Um, you know, like we don't think about where it comes from, what, what has been done to it, uh, who's taking care of it when it goes down our drain, what's happening to it. We've kind of like dissociated completely from uh, that entire process and just assumed, you know, our, our municipal leaders or our, our government, you know, they're going to take care of the water. They're going to protect it. And now we've seen the destruction. We've seen what, you know, greed and colonialism and this idea of of, of progress has done to our water. Uh, so when I saw the Wenzikwa, the the sacred headwater, uh, of the the Wet'suwet'en tribes, you know, I was just like, how can how can I not protect them? How can I not do so? How can I not stand up here and resist this pipeline that's going? They they just want to drill underneath of it, um, which which uh, you know which has led me on an interesting journey of dealing with colonial courts and colonial laws, uh, and how the system, you know, is really. Is is not designed for us to have wins in the courtroom, uh, you know. It is not designed for, uh, you know, change to actually happen. We talk a lot about truth and reconciliation in these days, and we're doing land acknowledgments after land acknowledgments, but there's no real land action happening within our governments and our court systems. That's, uh, you know, that's that's towards that path of truth and reconciliation. So it's it's off balance.
0: Yes. And that's just the issue, is, is you know, like, it's like a two-tiered system, but in the same courtroom. And, um, you know, I figure that a lot of times Native people get the brunt of it all, and they are treated differently, and they're talked differently, too, you know. And that's unfortunate, because they're human beings. It doesn't matter where they're from or anything like that so treat them as such and it's unfortunate that it
2: it was an interesting experience out there uh you know it's my first real experience with the the law you know like i'm i've never been arrested i'm not you know i'm not a, a terrorist or a bad person or anything like that and so to be faced with you know a wall of RCMP and military greens and attack dogs and helicopters and sniper rifles and chainsaws. And, you know, like it was just like way, uh, it was a clear demonstration of dominance and uh, intimidation. And so I saw it firsthand and it, you know, it left us, it left a mark on, on my, you know, on, on, on my, my voice. I remember coming home and I was, I was at uh, a March and I saw police cherries, you know, behind me, and I just like instantly felt this paralysis come oh, over me, and I just, you know, I couldn't move. I was like, there was there was ATTN, there was CBC News, there was Global News. All these news reporters wanted to hear what happened uh, in Wet'suwet'en, and I just saw these cops, and I just froze. And then, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, this is this is what they wanted. This this is what the intention was was to scare me so that i i don't i don't tell my story i don't keep using my voice i don't i don't keep speaking out about the things that i believe in and i'm not going to let them win and i'm not going to so you know like every time i'm like it doesn't matter if it's a radio show if it's a university classroom if it's a kindergarten classroom i'm if i have the opportunity to you know talk about my experiences and what i've seen and what I've learned, then I, I, you know, I'm I'm not going to let any of that fear stop me. So it's been an interesting ride. Um, the so, film is finally uh, done filming, which is good. Yes. And now, now I'm working on a, a new project, which is growing in my belly. So I'm yes. almost due. I'm almost due for you know talking about sacred waters and you know we come from the waters of our mothers and they come from the waters of yeah. their mothers and. Mm-hmm. You know, it's our first welcome into the world of life is in the water. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a, a whirlwind of an experience, but, you know, just I feel like such a different person uh, just has changed me in many ways. Yes. And I just want to ask you,
0: how many days of the demonstration were you guys doing before the RCMP and and the army and snipers <laughs> and the dogs were there? You know? right?
2: So it was uh, what well, was an interesting situation because when you're looking at you're looking at like hereditary law, you're looking at these these laws of the land, uh, and when the hereditary chiefs here on our territory, the Haudenosaunee chiefs, uh, shared their you know their statement of support and that they would do anything to help stand in solidarity with the hereditary wet sweat chiefs. chief, uh, you know, we, there was a, a few of us, my brother, some, some of my partner, like, we went out there and we said, you know what, we're, we're going to support these people uh, as a, you know, nation to nation. And uh, so the, the chiefs of the territory actually put an eviction notice to the pipeline and the pipeline workers and stayed in an eviction notice and closed the road uh to prevent, you know, them from from uh, from getting in and gave them, you know, a certain amount of time to, to vacate the premises. And then we were there for about uh well, five days in the camp. Mm-hmm. It's in- it's interesting because there was always this looming feeling that they were coming and that they were you know, the helicopters were going over more frequently. Um we just we we heard on the on the radios that you know several r c m p had come onto the territory had flown into uh to smithers and um yeah we just it was it was kind of like looming ominous and the thing that that was very interesting to me was that there was no contact you know here are the traditional title holders to this territory making a statement, and there was no response, no one talked to them no one Consulted them. No one came out to speak with them. Uh, it was just this giant wall of force, and uh, I think that that really hit hard with me. Uh, you know, I I remember standing standing there with uh, you know eight eight of us on on a bridge uh, to to see these you know these buses of RCMP. Uh, come up the road up this logging road you know this one lane road you see this trail of cops coming and there was uh i vividly remember when they came up to us in formation uh marching towards us over this road and the one at the front had a large stick and i was like what the heck like that's so that's uh, that that just seems so violent, like to hold this giant stick and swinging it over your head, and then suddenly a hundred RCMP all in unison they do this loud grunt together. It's like, <gasps> and it just hit me like a wave, like a wave. Like here we are, you know, on a bridge with a fire, singing songs, banging our drums, and there there's just this wall of of violence and dominance and. No one spoke to the elders when they asked to no, know. You know what are your intentions? And this is my family. We are in ceremony. Uh, we are honoring the water. There was just, uh, you know, just just dominance. And so that it really put it into perspective for me as a of the, what truth and reconciliation can look like down the barrel of a gun.
0: Yeah. And it's amazing five days that you guys were allowed to have your peaceful demonstration, whereas you know the freedom fighters it took over three weeks to have oh anything done.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and it was interesting also watching that happen after you know seeing such a violent arrest uh, on our on the territory out there in BC, and then seeing you know it almost being friendly. In Ottawa, it was uh, it was quite shocking. I was I, it was hard to watch.
0: Yes, yeah, you know. And I was watching a bit of the inquiry. I don't know why, but I decided to watch it one day. And um, the police superintendent said that you know usually with um, Native people, the Aboriginal people, when they have a demonstration that gets out of c- control, they nip it in the bud immediately. And that's what he was asking his counterparts, his equal people, is why aren't we moving on these people? And how long are we going to let this um, demonstration go on that shuts down the center of Ottawa? And I thought, yeah, you know, that's what you guys do. You bring in force, brute force, within a certain amount of time, and you shut it down but you guys let this go on for over 3 weeks.
2: Yeah, and I mean it's still ongoing, right? I'm still making court appearances now facing criminal charges. Um, you know, this is this is long after affected my life and and uh, something that I you know, I I can't even imagine the like I'm not obviously not allowed to go back to the territory as part of my my conditions to be let out of jail. Um, so it's, it's even harder for me to see, you know, my, my, my brothers and sisters that are out there still that, you know, they, they can't go back or they, they're, they're constantly being threatened and intimidated. And, and now they're seeing, you know, the drills coming and they're hearing the explosions and they're hearing the drilling and, you know, it just like breaks my heart. But it also inspired me um, to keep going and to keep making the film to, uh, to go out into some of the other uh, reserves and, and make sure that these stories are told. Like, um, it's, it's not enough for just indigenous people to be fighting for land and water. This is a, this is a human issue. You know, the issue of water is a, is a human issue. And if we are destroying some of the last pure, uh, pristine water sources that we have, you know, like for, for oil... <laughs> it's like uh, we, we need to wake up. So I've been doing a lot of work with youth, and I, I feel like that's been really rewarding because it feels like, um, you know, just an opportunity to to change the narrative. As, as you know, I, I see them as our future civil engineers and our our future politicians or whatever. And if they can understand that water is alive and it's something to be honored. Uh that's that's really powerful for me and then and then realizing, you know, as I do work in the community that people's awareness and, and perspectives they are shifting. And uh, you know, I know it's easy for, for us to get angry and to feel traumatized and feel like it's you know, what is it all worth and what does it all accomplish and um but I, I do have this and, you know, maybe it's just undying optimism, but I do have this hope that, uh, there is a path. There is a path for healing. Um, and, you know, I don't see it coming from the top down. I don't see it coming from our leaders and our politicians and our MPPs and, you know, any of that. Uh, I, I really feel like it's a, it's a grassroots, it's a bottom, it's a ground up, uh, change. And people are opening their eyes. And so, hopefully, that's my intention with the, the documentary: is that it just it hits people in the heart, and it shares the stories and the voices um, that they, they, you know they, they can't unsee and they can't unknow, and they'll they'll take a different action, or they'll you know hold our hold our country accountable to uh, you know to, to make an actual change and not just talking about change or land acknowledging their way out of a change. Right.
0: And it seems like our younger generation at this time, too, is really concerned about climate change, which they should be. We should all be concerned, you know, about climate change. And they seem to, as they get older, they seem to have a stronger voice about their opinion about climate change because they realize that it is happening. You know, and um, it's unfortunate that our younger generation needs to teach other people that this is happening. We need to stop it. Everything's being, um, you know, done that is more harm. You know, let our waters flow freely, you know, quit poisoning them. You know, let everything thrive from that life of water, you know, and our young people realize this. You know, they realize so many things that are going wrong, and it's all caused by big corporation and the greed to rape the land. But, you know, we're going to head off here shortly to a break and when we come back i i want to talk to you more about your documentary okay so um we're talking to lila stats today a filmmaker an activist and a musician we'll be right back after this break
2: if you've ever wanted to be a sculptor the prince george public library can give you some help to get started both branches, downtown and the Chaco, have paper mache take take-and-make bags available. These kits have everything you need to make your own mini-statue, but supplies are limited. You may not be able to create a life-size Statue of Liberty, but you can get started as a sculptor. Free take-and-make paper mache
1: bags at either branch of the Prince George Public Library. Your Prince George Public Library is thrilled to announce the resumption of their beloved homework-help tutoring program and the creation of their new study hall. Homework Help is free one-hour tutoring sessions for students in grades 3 to 12, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays, booked on a first-come, first-served basis. The Study Hall is a drop-in program, Saturdays from 1030 to 430. For Homework Help bookings or more information, contact the library or visit them online at pgpl.ca. If you or members of your family would like to improve your conversational English skills, the Prince
2: George Public Library is holding conversation circles every Tuesday from 3.15 to 4.15. You'll be able to chat with other learners and newcomers in a casual setting. There will be fun and educational activities provided for children as well. The Family English Conversation
1: Circle is a free drop-in event for all ages at the Downtown Public Library on Tuesday afternoons from 3.15 to 4.15. Forecast from Environment Canada for today: sunny, wind for the north at 20K gusting to 40, a high of minus 10 with a wind chill to minus 20. Tonight clear, becoming partly cloudy overnight, wind for the northeast at 20, a low of minus 17 with a wind chill to minus 27. On Tuesday, mainly cloudy, a 40% chance of flurries in the afternoon, northeast winds continuing, a high of minus 12 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 20.
0: And we're back. We're speaking to Lila Statz. And um, Lila, I was just wondering, when is your documentary going to be released?
2: Uh, so we're looking at in 2023. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on the release date. As I said, brewing a little baby warrior in the belly at the moment. Yeah, so want to want time it properly with uh, being able to debut this film Uh, and uh, screen it uh, all over the place because, like I said, I I definitely want people to see it everywhere and and also go back to the communities that I I visited. And that was one thing that, that has been really important to me is those connections that were made during the film uh, you know, going back and honoring them, and and you know, sharing so that they can see their stories being told, and you know, maybe community film screenings. And there was lots of amazing youth that I met. Sorry about that. There's a lot. There was lots of amazing youth that I met that um, that were very interested in filmmaking, and we're natural filmmakers. Like we are, Indigenous people are natural storytellers. We yes. have been telling stories to teach lessons and past knowledge uh, through, you know, through our oral teachings for forever. So it's in our blood. And so uh, the, the workshops that I've had the chance to do, I was just in Thunder Bay a few months ago and up in Iqaluit for in Nunavut, and uh, teaching these youth, you know, how they could make their own documentaries. And my first documentary I made, I got like a... A a small grant, and I bought a camera and I a drone, and I made this documentary about my story, just myself, and you know, just teaching that process of how we all have this journey inside of us, this story that matters, a voice, a, a lesson, a you know, a struggle that we've experienced that we can turn into. really powerful digital content because of our our unique ability to tell stories and uh so that's been really powerful i was talking about you know working with the youth and so that's been something that's felt really good to help these youth find their creative passion and there's so much healing in the in the in the path of sharing your voice and your story and uh, just on on many levels, so yeah, so lots of exciting stuff, and then so hopefully mid next year, uh, once I I get this baby out, and uh, we're all we're all good. i um, I already told uh, I already told baby dad that the baby's going on the road, and we might have to go to Berlin, and we might have to go screen it in Germany. <laughs> so uh, it'll be a traveling baby, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, and when is
0: the babe due? Do-
2: Boxing day. So oh. it's right around the corner. <laughs> yes, that
0: is for yeah. sure. You yeah. know, that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And would you mind, um, what, do you know what you're having?
2: Yeah, it's a boy. Oh. So, yeah, we're excited about that. We're uh, grandmas, all the grandmas and aunties are all, this little boy is going to know a whole lot of love. And that idea of, you know, it takes a village. There's a lot of amazing people in this community, especially in the land back community and the, in the water community that have uh, supported myself and my partner along the way. And, you know, going back, I, I really want to bring this little baby back to that water. <laughs> and I. Uh, so hopefully we can get our our conditions lifted and we can go back to the Wenzigua and hopefully it's not destroyed by a pipeline. In the meantime, uh, you know I definitely suggest taking action on on being informed in what's going on. Uh, you know, especially since you know this is a radio station in Prince George. This is right in your area. These waters, uh, you know, they're they're around you, and just because you know you have access to clean water and you know, some communities don't doesn't mean that will always be the case. I like to put it into perspective. And, you know, we think about the pandemic and we think about um, the lessons that we learned in the pandemic. Well, I remember in Ontario, in the pandemic, when we ran out of toilet paper. Oh, yes. And everyone it was a panic. People felt fear. Like, you actually genuinely felt a little bit of fear because... You know, it's something that there's a shortage of. You go into the grocery store and the the shelves are empty and you have this, this panic inside of you, like there's not enough of something. So then put that into perspective of how we reacted to toilet paper and how we would react if that was clean drinking water. And if there was a rationed amount of clean drinking water that came into the stores every week, and you had to line up, or you had to get there first, or you had to fight somebody in the parking lot for that bottle of water. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just just for a second, like, put your, your brain in that world. And then it feels like a movie. It feels like some, like, apocalypse movie yes. that we can't even imagine. However, you know, I've been to a community in, in northern Ontario called Niscondaga. They just passed 10,000 days in boil water advisory. And if you do the math, that's twenty-seven years. Yes. So twenty-seven years, and they are on a one-point-seven-liter ration of water per person, per family, per day. So they like this is this is not a far-off apocalypse movie, end of the world movie. This is this is their life right now. And you know, I, I I was on that plane that brought in the water. I was on the back of the trucks delivering the bottles of water to every house. And you know, I could. It was just. It was like, wow, this is this is this is right now. This is this is their life right now. And and then you look, and there's so many rippling effects. You know, you look in everyone's backyard, you see a big giant pile of water bottles. And you know, like it it hurts them. You can see that it hurts them to create this waste. Especially as indigenous people who are so connected to the land and the water, you know, knowing that they have no choice but to create this mountain of plastic that, uh, you know, just caught in this endless cycle. So it was it was eye-opening. And sometimes that analogy kind of can put it into perspective for us of, you know, how much we we do take for granted.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you were talking about the toilet paper and... Just um, another side agreed is that, you know, you could go online when there was no toilet paper in the stores and see ads, you know, toilet paper, $75 for a package of toilet paper because that person nabbed up a whole bunch and was trying to make money from his friends and neighbors, you know. And that was really sad that we couldn't come together and, and think about another person and just take what we need to use for the time being instead of hoarding so much. And with Well, the- that
2: was like, uh, if, there's, if there's two lessons I've learned from elders and it's been pretty consistent in every community I went to, the first one is you don't take more than you need, mm-hmm. and the second one is you leave it better than you found it. So yes. if we looked at those two simple life lessons, like, in our society right now, are we in accordance with that at all? Absolutely not. You know, we're just consuming, consuming, consuming and, and stockpiling and creating stuff and amounting, you know, wealth and currency, uh, you know, and, and at, the, at the price of our planet, which we, you know, I've seen when these mining companies or these logging companies come in, it's just, it's left in absolute destruction, it's, you know, their their machines, their garbage, they're everything is just there. And I'm like, man, if my papa could see this, you would, you know, you leave it better than you found it. You don't leave all your stuff here. You don't leave it destroyed. Uh, and we haven't been doing that. So I'm like, two simple shifts. If you could try and follow those laws in your life, uh, you would, you know, you would, be, you would be in a better position now. Right. And, um, you
0: know, the thing is, too, is that, they don't stop to think about anything, and and um, they just go in and, and rape th- the land and take all the minerals away from the soil, and and they don't think of the future. They're thinking of the mighty dollar, which is leading them into these places, which is quite sad. Yeah, absolutely.
2: It uh, it is it is it is a hard cycle to imagine breaking free of. Um, but you know, then you, you go out on the territory or you go out to these, to these territories and you stand on the land. And uh, I I sat with an elder and his whole family had left the community because, you know, he's like, my kids have moved to the city. They took their kids to the city where there's more opportunities and more resources and clean water. And, uh, he's like, but I can't, he's like, this is my home. This is where my roots are. This is where... You know my my history is, and I can't leave this territory. And he's like, "You go to the." He's like, "I want you to go to the water's edge." And I, oh, he's like, "I want you to watch the sun come up." And he's like, "You'll know why I'm living here still." And I did. I went to the water's edge. It was it was like this majestical moment of uh, standing on this beach, and this 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 red dog came out of nowhere, and it looked like a white wolf. <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my god! Like, who are you? You're here to." Watch this watch this sunrise with me, and um, as the sun came up, you know, I just I could feel it. I could feel that that life, that energy force in the land, and and people say, you know, how do you how do you do what you do, you know? Because there's a moment when you're looking at that wall of cops coming up at you, uh, you know. I had so many thoughts in my head of you know my children, my children at home who, you know, their mom's going to get arrested, and. You know, what are the teachers going to say? What's the principal going to say? What are the other kids' moms at school going to say? Like, I, I'm going to be labeled in this way. But then you look at the land and you feel, you know, it's like, whose laws do I need to live by? And when I chased to that water, you know, it, I had to live by that law of the land. And I had to do what I knew it was right. Um, and when we see the water as, you know, we see it as one of our relations, we say all of our relations. That means the water, the trees, the earth, the bugs, the bees, the birds. You know, that's everything. We're all related. So, you know, if, if your mother was being ripped open and her inside being pulled from her and poisoned and destroyed and, and raped and pillaged, what would you do? You would stand up. You would defend her. You would, you know, when I, when I look at that river, I think of my brother. And you know, I would do anything for my brother. Um, if he was under threat, if he was being uh, destroyed or hurt or damaged or poisoned, you know, I would be there. So, uh, when we treat water and we treat the living world around us the same way as our family, uh, it becomes it becomes a different fight. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and and that's what we need to look at is to defend some thing someone who cannot stand up and speak for themselves you know and and that's all we can do is to defend them with everything that we got especially when it's concerning water because we all need water to drink to grow
2: yeah it's uh it's an it's interesting because you talk about you know well, water rights and like indigenous people don't really see it as something we own or something we possess or have even, you know, have that right to, it's, 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 we respect it. We are the voice of the water. We, we are connected to it and, and in, in this this living cycle with it. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been a, a, an interesting journey with some ups and downs for sure. But, you know, I feel, I feel like our work, is starting to happen, and people are starting to listen. Uh, you know, I think the, the message could be amplified. Uh, people ask me all the time, you know, what can I do? I was in a grade 5 class the the other day, and this little grade 5 girl, she's like, I don't know anyone in, in the government, but what can I do to save the water? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm thinking there's so many of us grown-ups that maybe feel the same way, right? Like, we're like, I don't know what to do, but I want to do something. And for me, one of the biggest things that you can do is be listening to these stories, be listening to these messages, and be sharing them. Uh, You know, share something that you learned from this show today. Share something that you learned from uh, some of the activism uh, information and articles that are being shared. And share how it's changed you on a personal level. You know, how has your relationship to land changed and your relationship to water changed? So it's not just Indigenous land defenders that are talking about the water, and water is life. It is all of us that are literally talking about water is life. Uh, it is all of us that are talking about, you know, the the wet, sweat, and uh, strong. And you know, it's, it's it's your neighbor Beverly on the corner. It's your crossing guard. It's your bus driver. It's your kids' school teacher. Uh, and it's not just, you know, these land defenders. Uh, issues, but it's our human issue, it's our human responsibility to to protect the water
0: Yes that's right, everyone should be able to do a small part, because if everyone does it, then it turns out to be a bigger thing you know, so we should be able to put in our input into it, no matter how small it is, because it's going to add up over time, is it
2: not? Right, like even that little grade five, like mm-hmm. you start talking about the water and people will listen because they're looking at like, oh, our children are the ones that are telling us that we have to protect the water. You know, maybe we should start paying attention, Uh, you know, and it, I'm like, just keep talking about it, little girl, like just keep sharing what you're learning and how important it is to you and being that voice. So So, yeah. Uh, that's my advice for everybody out there. <laughs> I'm sure I could probably talk about water for a lot longer.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. We all can, but, you know, and I think it's we a all should.
2: that needs to keep going, right? And it's a conversation that should never end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's something that I'm, I'm very grateful that, you know, you've created the space and the time for people to listen to, you know, stories like mine. So, yeah, I, I encourage everyone to follow me, Layla Stats. On Instagram or Twitter, and kind of see where things are going with the documentary, and um, and also you know the the, uh, the active court case and things that you can do to uh, to, to make a difference and to stand in solidarity with uh, with some of these actions.
0: And it's so sad that your memory of Prince George is from jail
2: cell. <laughs> oh know. well, no, I, I I still say that I left a piece of my heart. Out there uh, by that river and in that land, uh, it was the most beautiful experience I have ever had. Um, you know, even though it's 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 double layered, uh, you know, I, I'll always look back at that those moments that I you know woke up on that territory and the, the fresh snow and the the river slightly frozen and you know it's just like I have a lot of great memories from that uh, from that side of the Turtle Island for sure.
0: Oh, wow. Yes. So, yes. And when you come back to Prince George, you got to look me up, and we'll get together, and maybe we can do a sit-in interview here at the station, and you can let us know what is next on your agenda with the little warrior, you know, that you're going (laughs) to be having here. And, you know, uh, I have to thank you for... uh,
2: I'll definitely be keeping everybody informed on when we're going to be doing the screening out there on the West coast. And, uh, my brother lives out there now. So my brother, Logan Stotts is a folk musician, uh, who has been, who just released, uh, his new single on Spotify, Holy man. So we perform a lot out there as well. So as a musician, I didn't really talk much about music at all, (laughs) uh, which is a whole nother journey in itself is that you know the healing medicine of music and being able to write songs and perform and connect with people on that level it's very powerful so right so yeah i'll be thank I'll, you very I'll much be in
0: touch. thank you very much for coming on today and talking yeah. to us and i look forward to the day that i can meet you and to everyone who listens thank you very much for your time and um I enjoy having guests that are so informative that we can learn things from. And next week, we are working on someone just as great. So here's a shout-out to Sabina Dennis for hooking me up with Lila. I really appreciate it, Sabina. And, you know, hi-hi to everyone. Thank you very much. Um, See you next week.
1: This is 93.1 CFIS FM in Prince George. Proudly supported by community groups like the BC Old Time Fiddlers.